When it's cloudy or dark and you can't see much, reach out with your hearing, your smell, and your touch. If you're feeling fenced in by what you can't see, break down those fences and come to your senses with me. When you can't see exactly what to do, close your eyes and try to use your ears. Listen close and hear what's in front of you. And maybe the way out will at last appear. I found a hidden door. When it's cloudy or dark and you can't see much, reach out with your hearing, your smell, and your touch. If you're feeling fast in by what you can't see, break down those fences and come to your senses with me. Bienvenida and welcome to a very special episode of Spirit of Avalor with Lauren. And Becca. And today we are not doing anything from Avalor. We're making a pit stop in Enchantia to speak with the awesome person who created, and I know I'm even going to say this, but it's a good thing, the first blind princessa. So, welcome, Matt. Well, uh, hello. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> and we are happy to have you. Thank you so much. Well, I'm so touched. You guys reached out to me via Twitter, which I'm barely on uh, after the episode aired. And it just really meant the world to me that the episode that I wrote um, uh, about uh, a princess who happens to be blind uh, touched you guys and meant something to you. So I, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Oh, yeah. I know. She really, really did. And it just, like, for the first time you guys, you got it right. And yeah, yeah. It, it, I don't want to say it was surprising because that would sound really bad, but in a way, I we were very pleasantly surprised that you did, mm. that it was portrayed, that, sorry, that she, not it, she was portrayed <laughs> the right way, sorry. I want your baby there. Well, and, well, you know. Well, I love to hear all the ways in which I'm right, so tell me <laughs> more about that. <laughs> So no, but seriously, tell me where, tell me about, if you don't mind, tell me about times you have felt that, it, like, what are the kind of thing, mistakes that writers make uh, when portraying someone with a disability, like uh, blindness or visual impairment of some kind, or, and the way in which you thought I did it so masterfully? Yeah. Okay. So for example, the, the way that, she, well, so, okay. So Cassandra, Cassandra uses her cane correctly. That was not what I was, I was yeah. Trying to make that clear for that before I went into anything else. So anything when yeah. I said she, I meant. So, um, can we pull back the curtain and go way back to when I was very little for a second? Yes, please. And we're gonna mention something that obviously a lot of parents hated. They wanted to sh to like strangle the thing and all that stuff. And I think you know uh -huh. what I'm about to say. So when I was very little, and I was home from school sick one one of the many times that I was I mean I it was just like I said with everything I'd been through medically and stuff there were just some things that would happen sometimes after after the the surgeries and stuff no sorry back this is with your glaucoma yeah yeah so anyway so I no I'm sorry so I was home and the and I wanted to watch Disney but what I had wanted to watch at the time wasn't on so I was like forced to wait so my mother in her brilliance put on Barney and friends and I was like really I'm seven <laughs> eight years old I do not like this I'm glad I can't see for a couple days because that was yeah that's funny <laughs> and so that's funny oh it, no it was so what ha there's a point I'm sorry I, I promise so what happened was 
it happened to me in an episode where they meet someone who's blind. Now, uh -huh. this is where we get kind of messed up here. Now, mm -hmm. I am, I, I looked this up before I would, before I said anything because I didn't want to get it wrong. And the person who played this blind character was not blind herself. Okay. And I, I understand what you said off air when we were talking for a couple minutes, so I'm not, that's not what I mean. What I'm talking about is this. Yeah. They, for this particular instance, they could have gotten someone. Because this, yeah. this was not a kid. This was someone who was, like, in her teens. So they could have mm. gotten somebody. And the other thing is that she... They wouldn't let her put on her cane even when she was sitting and they were just singing or doing something or Lucy That's her friend was like helping. I was like you you can't put down your cane You know, you're not gonna explode if you don't have it in your hand mm. And I actually said that at like seven or eight. I was like really? Come on <laughs> And it was just a bunch so of other things. It just was little things that I just didn't it didn't think mm -hmm. you know like they kept having they 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 were afraid to use the word watch one of them was not all the kids one of the kids was afraid to do that it just was really mm -hmm. like really ridiculous i was like no you can mm -hmm. say that mm -hmm. yeah so you feel like sometimes people treat it treat the person with the disability too preciously they're yeah. they're yes. too yes they're yeah. kind of babying them or something yes. or yes okay and then with the cane you felt like they were there was somebody using it kind of as a prop and they they whereas in in what you liked about princess cassandra was she used it sometimes and other times but, she put it away yeah exactly yeah yeah mm -hmm. well we were we were really trying to go with that adventure kind of make her as cool as possible and so one of mm -hmm. the things is that her cane is actually uh extendable so it's like it sort of mm -hmm. folds up into this little yeah, so like our... wand size and then goes <laughs> <laughs> comes out and we thought that was a neat device that's yeah, so ours beautiful. do the same thing and that's what got that when uh -huh. becca said that because i like i said i have next no vision becca has more than i do but she mm -hmm. anyway she, um she was explaining that to me and i was like oh okay that is awesome yeah and i loved how it looked exactly like our canes too uh-huh uh-huh like that's that. so well, trust me that the artists and the director did a lot of research into that, into but, know, figuring out yeah. how to, yeah, how to make it authentic. Awesome. Well, what else? What else? Well, go ahead. Do you have questions or? Yeah. Go um, ahead. Uh, actually, I'm going to go first. Can we start okay. at the beginning yeah. when we're talking about a young, young Matt here? I mean, as much as you want yes. to share, obviously, it's okay. Yes. Um, so uh, what was that like growing up? I mean, were you a cartoon kid? Were you a drawler? Were you a... Um, were you an adventure type kid? Were you like Andy from Toy Story, always playing with your toys? What What was it like? Well, I was very. Uh, I'm, I'm currently writing for a show called Fancy Nancy, mm -hmm. which is about a girl who has an incredible imagination when she's younger. And the other writers on on this staff call me Fancy Mancy um, <laughs> because. I I was very similar to Fancy Nancy in a way. I mean, I wasn't into fashion and stuff, but I was really into drawing and, and acting. And uh, I started doing an, an acting class when I was in third grade. I wrote a, uh, a, a full-length musical uh, in third grade. I had this amazing teacher who helped with that uh, named Mr. Wow. Dion. Um, 
I would get really into Halloween. Like I, I would just spend months like building my costume and I get really upset. My parents always tell a story that I was an astronaut one year and I made this helmet out of tin foil in a box and, and like a jet pack and a ray gun that lit up. And, and then, but I was really upset because my mom had sewed me a, um, like a space outfit, but there, there was an elastic on the sleeves. And this, I was really young and I was like, the oxygen will get out. The oxygen will get out. <laughs> So, so I was, I really was definitely living in my imagination. Now, you know, then I got into high school and being a nerd who was really into creativity wasn't so cool. And so I started playing football and running on the track team and stopped acting and like did all that kind of stuff. And, and I felt really, I would say kind of dead inside, you know, and then luckily in college, I, I came back to that creativity and, and it's and it's interesting because I, I was an actor then for a long time, um, and then I slowly found my way back towards writing, <clears throat> and and then I and then I just kind of fell into doing cartoons, and I worked really hard on my acting and my writing, and I really tried to do really important. Um, worthy kinds of projects. And meanwhile, the thing that I loved when I fell down was going and reading comic books. Like I would go to, okay, but no matter, like if I had a bad audition, I would go into a comic book store and I would feel better, you know? And, um, and similarly growing up, my dad had these funny, I went to, I, t- I took so many acting classes in my life, but the thing that kind of influenced me most was my dad had these records, uh, um, these comedy records growing up. And some of them, they were, were like impersonate impersonators doing, uh, impressionists doing voices. And I just loved those voices. So on a whim, one day I got a phone call as an actor saying, Hey, a friend of mine was saying like, Oh, this is a small thing. They're doing voiceovers, uh, for some cartoon. And I went in and I was, and I was really good at it. And I wound up booking the lead in a series called Captain Harlock, which was like a space pirate thing. And then that led to doing, those are the same people who did Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Viva Pinata and Mm -hmm. Shaman King. And I just did all of the dinosaur King, like all these different shows. And, you know, unlike Becca who could, who could still play a child, I have this kind of deep voice. So I was always playing the kind of raspy, yeah. Uh, films, you know, yeah. and I was always some cool guy who would come in to kick butt. Um, when you when you and, did that, yeah. when you did that, sorry to interrupt, I'm sorry. When you did yeah. that, I got an image of Casey Jones in my head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, who I played, right? And, um, well, no, no, okay. Um, no, I played a guy named Corey D'Amato on, mm-hmm. uh, on Pokemon. So, uh, and then, um, and then I just, I ran into a friend of mine. Um, I was writing plays. Then I was writing plays, and I had a couple plays option for Broadway. They didn't quite make it to Broadway, but we did these big readings with all these famous stars in them. Uh-oh. And and I was walking down the street one day, and a friend of mine, uh, who was the husband of somebody I went to school with, I ran into him, and he goes, what are you doing? And I was like, ah, oh, I got to do these plays. And he said, you should write for Arthur. And he was the head writer for the TV show Arthur. And um, so I had to audition for that job, which meant I I watched about a hundred Arthurs and, um, and then pitch, uh, ideas to them on episodes and they liked some of them. And so I wrote my first episode and that went well. And then I wrote a whole bunch of episodes for Arthur and Curious George. And then, um, I got nominated for an Emmy with the, with the staff of Arthur and I was at the Emmys and that's 
that's where I met Craig Gerber because they were nominated for an Emmy for Sophia the First. Um, and I met Craig and Lori and Rachel, who were the other writers on the show. And Rachel's Erica. awesome. We know her. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I adore Rachel. And, um, and so about a year later, um, I got a phone call from, well, a friend of mine from Arthur. Is this too much detail? Or no, is this no, we love this. Okay. We love, our, okay. our listeners will love this. They, they probably watched all that stuff, so go ahead. Uh, okay. So then I, um, a friend of mine who was on Arthur, was a writer for Arthur, was also, he wound up getting, uh, named Craig Carlisle, got a job on Sophia the First. Mm-hmm. And they lost somebody at the last minute. Um, there was a writer who was supposed to do it, and they, they got something else. And so they called me up, and they were like, well, would, you know, oh, they remember you from the Emmys. They like you. Why don't you send some stuff? So they, it was all very last minute. So I sent them some stuff. We did an interview on like a Tuesday. I got the offer to do the job on Friday. And I was living in New York and this was in LA. Mm-hmm. I flew out on Sunday and started working on Monday. And um, my wife stayed behind for six months. And then she came and joined me. And I've been living in LA and writing for Disney ever since. I wrote for the last season of Sophia the First and then Goldie and Bear for a while. And now I'm on a new show, which is going to air in a month called Fancy Nancy. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. So that's the story. Um, yeah. Um, and then... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, go ahead. And then I have one more no, question to check on that, and then Becky, you can go. But I have one more thing. But go ahead. <laughs> But I just kind of fell into it. I mean, it wasn't the thing that I aimed at. It was just the thing that was fun for me. And, you know, doing all the work that I did to become a writer who knew how to tell stories and character, and that was all important. Um, but I, I guess that's just, to me, a lesson that, like, go in the direction of your joy in life in general. Like, that's that's where the success will come from. Um, and I think there was a part of me that thought I should do something harder. Mm-hmm. In a way, writing came really easily, and cartoons were just something I really sort of enjoyed, but there was a part of me that was just like, that doesn't count. It's not real, but it's very real and it's a real job and uh, it's super fun. It's really, and it's really nice to have a lot of fun at work. Oh yeah, no, I, 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 I get what you're saying and I'll be honest yeah. about something about Arthur. I watched it in my 20s. Because, yes, many people do. Um, I actually remember really quickly, and then I've won everything, and then Becky, you can go. I remember a whole summer, one summer when um, back, I think it was in 2003 or four, where uh-huh. um, I that was a summer that my dad helped me to furnish an apartment kind of down in our basement for me before cool. I moved out, and it was really nice. It was it was really nice, and I would spend I would go upstairs obviously eat dinner with him, you know, because family means a lot to me. Family, sorry. <laughs> You know, uh-huh. and things, but you know, when he was at work in the summer, I would go down there and just write or play with the. We had two cats, two Himalayans, Simba and Ty. But I would go down there and hang out with them and watch TV. So there was a summer where I would tape every Arthur that was on. Now, they're not, I wouldn't mm. like every single one. Obviously, there are just ones that weren't. And it wasn't like that. It was just, you know, with anything, you know, there's not every. Yeah. But there were a lot that I loved. And there's one that I want to mention. I'm not sure if you wrote this and then we'll go up the train, but. Um, the one where um, Sue Ellen's playing this game and that's all she wants to do. And it's called Sue Ellen Gets Her Goose Cooked. I'm pretty sure it's what the episode title is. I did not write that one, but tell me about it. But it, it's one where they, they kind of spoof, I guess. On it. I haven't seen this in like years. I feel bad. But they, they spoof on this game and that's all she wants to play. And the kids get involved with it, you know, to an extent. Mm-hmm. And then it, mm-hmm. But it's her who's like really obsessed. And Arthur's like, you need to, you need to kind of cool it or whatever. And it's after she loses a tournament to this guy, not online per se, but someone else, I guess, who's playing it with her, that she realizes there's more important things. But it's it's 
there was, there was a lot of really funny stuff in there, and I was just like, okay, this mm -hmm. is cool. <laughs> well, that makes me so happy um, that people enjoy it. We try to, with that show and, and, and with all the kids' shows I write, we know that it's not just kids writing it, you know, so we have to aim for where our audience is developmentally, but we also hope that there'll be something universal in it that will appeal and resonate with older people. And that's one of the things that I love about Arthur is that people of all ages really enjoy it. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. The last episode I saw was the one with Adina Menzel where she plays a counselor mm. after, after that, um, after a storm hits Becca, turn me on. Yes. Yes. Adina Menzel. So, okay, so my other question before Becca, before I hand the reins over to Becca for a little while, um, when, this is kind of going off what I said before, but hopefully I'm going to ask this right and it's not going to come out sounding the way I don't want it to sound, um, mm -hmm. but, okay, so I'm just going to take, I'm just going to take a crack at this. So, growing up, what yes. was it like growing up with Carol? Like, I mean, I know, I'm sure you guys have a bond, that's not what I mean. I meant, like, you know, did you did you get in that stage like where you kind of felt embarrassed and tried to you know I don't I'm not trying to say anything like that but I, you know how, how kids they absolutely I'm not absolutely. trying to pay, yeah. I, I know you're a good person. no it's okay that's a good question that's an excellent question so for your listeners I one of the things that I shared with uh, Lauren and Becca was that um, I have a sister who's developmentally disabled so my sister Carol is three years older than me and when she was born um, there were some complications with her birth and she had seizures and so there was some brain damage and so mm -hmm. she's aphasic which means that um, it's like when you have a stroke when you're older and yeah. uh, you have to relearn how to talk, but that happened right when she was born. Okay. Um, and so she always struggled with communication. And, and still, she's still here. <laughs> and she struggles with communication and she struggles controlling her feelings sometimes. And she does, she does inappropriate things sometimes, especially when she was younger, you know. And yeah. so it's a, I think that there's, um, it is a challenge as um, a sibling of someone with a disability like that because um, on one hand, I loved my sister and I felt so much for my sister and I, and I did help her and I wanted to help her. And another part, I was also a kid who was trying and who was also kind of nerdy and wasn't particularly popular on his own, you know, who was like, once I hit adolescence and I was trying to, you know, basically get girls to notice me, you know, like it was hard sometimes to have a sister who would do inappropriate things, you know, and um, so and then also, and then we would just fight over stuff. I mean, you know, like brothers and sisters do. Yeah. And yeah. And I think that what I hear you guys saying in, in our conversations and, and, and a little bit what we've talked about here is, but I also, how am I going to say this? That, that you don't necessarily, uh, to what I try to do, my frustration, so let me take it back a step. So I, in all the things I do, I try to create characters who have disabilities and have them included. And that's in my plays mm -hmm. as well as, um, as the kids TV stuff that I'm doing. And I think it's really, there's a tendency to do a very special episode yes. about yes. this disability yes. where the show is all kind of about the disability. And I think that when you're, 
or or you know i also write i try to write comedies and so so somebody with a disability will often be the punchline to a joke or they're this heroic faultless person struggling against unbelievable odds yes. and triumphing in the end and my experience because i actually grew up with someone like that is I'm so inspired by her and she drives me crazy. You know I mean? It's like, she's a person, she's my sister. And, and what I, what I want to show is characters who happen to be blind. Yeah. Who happen to have a disability like that. It doesn't define them. No, it's no. just, it does influence who they are, yeah. you know, and it, it doesn't mean you ignore like, and I love that you guys said that, like, you know, sure. Like in Elena, with there's a care. Yeah. 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 Well, well so why don't you say for your listeners how you what you were telling me about okay. right. how they deal with her and her okay. wheelchair. So pretty much you first meet her in Navidad, which means it's Spanish, Christmas, Spanish for Christmas. And so she's Isa's best friend. And we don't know how they met. It's not really important. It's not really important. But the point mm-hmm. being, they met their friends, whatever. And we know that. So that's all she wants for Navidad is to spend Christmas, obviously, with Elena, with her hermana, with her sister and her familia. Mm-hmm. The rest of her family, I mean, but and also with Christina. So we first meet her, and she comes to the palace for Noche Buena, which is the night before Christmas. And mm-hmm. so, sorry, I'm giving you a crash course Spanish lesson here, but <laughs> so, do it, do it. Awesome. So they, you know, they're getting ready to know this, and Christina comes and she has this present for Isa. So the first mention we have of her wheelchair now if you could see you could see it but since i can't see i didn't know that until isa says my present fits on your wheelchair tray it will fit here and she's like it'll fit right there on your on your wheel on your wheelchair and she clips the art kit on her wheelchair and so so then nothing else is said of it nothing else they, they help her yeah. elena spins her during a song mm. which is really sweet but it's very you know very safe but right. there's nothing mentioned so now we're going to go to another episode sorry it's just because the bulk of the episode isn't about it's about christmas which is good but it's not what we're talking about mm. so yeah. so then now we're going to go to rise of the sorceress now miel i know you're excited about this so <laughs> in the i'm sorry that's spanish endearment for her it means honey in spanish so, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so okay, so in Rise of the Sorceress, they are performing a dance that they performed every year until, well, things happened. And so this is the first time that Elena and Issa are performing it without their mommy and Bobby because they're they're dead. And um, Elena witnessed it, but anyway, okay, yeah, we're getting out there. So anyway, um, she so obviously she's she's upset about that, you know, that they're not going to be so. They're practicing, and Elena looks over, and she sees Isa looking over at Christina, like, you know, like, I want her to come. So Elena, being intuitive with her sister, because they're very close, and she's like, you know, can you stop for a second? We need to talk. So Isa asks her to join the dance, and Christina's like, I would love to, but, you know, it's kind of hard to dance with wheels. And um, Isa and Elena's abuela, um, their grandmother, is like, well, we'll just have to change the dance for you mm. and it is so beautiful sweet. It beautiful is so so yeah. so they do but she still has problems so when right. um when it comes time to do the actual dance in front of the kingdom she starts to freak out a little bit and mm. elena just goes up to her she kneels down which i love because that's what you're supposed to do and right. she kneels down and she's like you know what christina I didn't get the steps right either the first time I did it. But my father is proud of me for trying. 
just like your father is proud of you now. Will you do it? And it's just, it's so sweet, so, it is. so sweet. And because she could have gotten mad, you know, because this happened like five other times, but she didn't. She, mm-hmm. she, she just mm-hmm. said. So she was patient. Yes. What I hear and what you're saying is patience, Compassion. really doing enough research to know what's appropriate and what isn't in terms yes. of how best to well, talk to the them, day, but, yeah. but also oh, yeah. including them and not putting them on some kind of pedestal or behind oh, yeah. a glass wall, no. like yeah. wrapping them in bubble wrap. Yeah, you know? yeah. And that's yeah. what we love yeah. about what they're doing and yeah. there's going to be an episode I think later on where Christina actually and I didn't tell you this meal because I don't know if, this, if they already did this yet but they, somebody was talking about an episode where they go on an adventure and she's with them Mm-hmm. So it's going to be awesome to see that. But yeah, but yeah, so stuff like that. So, I mean, yeah. that's, sorry. Yeah. yeah, sorry to stray into Elena of territory, but yeah. No, that's, so that's all right. No, it's great. Um, but yeah, so that's that's what we that's what we love about. We love Christina because she's an awesome character, but we love what they're doing because they're just focusing on her as a person. Yeah. You know, and that's what we loved about Cassandra, too. Yeah. You know, yes, she happened to be blind, but she was right there with everyone else. I mean, she was the one that was leading them right yeah she was the expert that was really important to us that it wasn't kind of well you know what we were just talking about but that she was somebody who was very accomplished in her field and Mm -hmm. that um you know that the fact that she grew up reading braille is what uh, what drew her to yeah it's one of the things that drew her to archaeomagicology which is a Mm -hmm. made-up uh thing but it was like um but it was, uh, you know, this is the study of ancient magic artifacts, and mm-hmm. and um, and so she's basically a, a Indiana Jones kind of character. So she's really good at, at reading the hieroglyphs on the walls mm-hmm. and things like ancient temples and pyramids. And then she's also really good at at jumping, you know, at getting through the uh, booby traps and jumping yeah. over chasms. And oh, yeah. that her that her being clued into her other senses is what helps her uh, not get taken in by the booby traps. Um, So we kind of were seeing it as a superpower. And I, and I think that that's a great way of looking at it, that there are, I think one of the things about growing up with a sister with a disability is seeing, I think people who don't have somebody who has a disability in their lives think, see only the negative and they don't realize that there are all of these gifts that come from having a disability. The, Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's something I really try to celebrate. And, you know, I want to just overcome people's, people just get afraid, I think. You know, people yeah. who haven't been around somebody with a disability, they're afraid they're going to say the wrong thing or do the wrong yeah. thing or they're scared. Mm-hmm. It's catching yeah. in some way. And I think that it's so important, especially with kids TV, to show people with disabilities, like you are saying, just on the adventure. And yes, maybe yeah. some accommodations need to be made a little differently, but they're also going to contribute in oh, unique yes. and uh, oh, awesome yeah. ways. And and there's a, a soul and a human being there who is really valuable to have as a mm-hmm. friend. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And throughout the whole episode, all I'm thinking is, Hildy, do not say anything stupid. Do not say anything stupid. <laughs> I, know you, I know you have a way yeah, of Yeah, it was probably me. hard for Hildy. It was probably yeah. hard for Hildy. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I like her because she's growing, but at the same time, like, you cut people down without me, you know, unintentionally like, yeah. not knowing. And yeah. I was like, do not. And I figured, hey, if she does say something, Cassandra just get in her face and say something right back. Yeah. yeah. And I love yeah. how Cassandra, you know, how, you know, when Zoe, I think it was when she was like, oh, I didn't know that 
you were blind and and yeah. Sonia just came right back with why well, didn't know that you were sighted yeah I love that line, and you know that actually came from Rachel Ruderman. We were uh, when we were Aww. when we were describing when we were when we were pitching the story at the beginning. She was the one who thought of that line, and I was just like genius, genius. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so I so I so I mercilessly I, I ruthlessly stole it from her. <laughs> but we do that. We all help each other write each other's. Oh, yeah. You know, we all contribute. To awesome. Episodes, all right, so, Becca, yeah. go ahead. You you. Yeah, you I do question. have a question about Cassandra. Yes. Um, did you guys um, figure out like what l level of vision she would have? Like if she could see light or Nothing. shadows or? That's a really good question. Because um, there are I many levels. I will be I honest. Mean, the, yes, are, there are. I know yeah. that. Yeah. I think our idea was that, no, she's completely blind. Um, but I, but talk to me a little bit about that. Because I, I, that's a, it isn't something that I'm, I know a little bit about that. But I would love to hear more so, about that. So pretty much when they say completely blind, but you think, not you personally, but everyone thinks, oh, it's yeah. in the dark. Now, sometimes that can be the case. But most right. of the yeah. time, what it is, is it's not. It's just... Um, how do I how do I think how do I explain this? It's kind of like it's kind of like white, but not. I know it sounds kind of weird, but it's kind of and right. you do right. you you can you can't see anything, but there's like this like white kind of like sheen mm. over your eye, kind of. I don't know if I'm mm. explaining that right, but it's just so you're not seeing completely dark, but you're not seeing anything mm. in front of you either. Then. Then there is um, the people who have light perception, which means they can see at the sun, that they can see, um, obviously, all types of light, but they just can't see anything else in front of them. Mm. And then you have people like me who can see light, who can see movement, but don't exactly know what it is that's moving, unless, obviously, mm. I know Roger's back there moving, I can hear his bell. But, like, right. I can basically, I know I'm saying from my computer screen, I can see shapes on it but I can't tell you what they are. Now I know they're icons mm -hmm. but I mean I can't mm -hmm. see to tell you what, like if it's Microsoft Word, if it's my right. folder, if it's whatever. Right. Right. Um, so so yeah and you know it's and it's hard but but yeah that's what you know. And There's so many me, different, yeah. Go, go ahead. Sorry. Me, no, no, go ahead. I, I um see out of one eye um uh -huh. my, my right eye i don't see anything i uh -huh. don't have a lens or a retina uh -huh. in that eye so i don't have any light perception or anything it's not even dark like it mm. or the white that we we're talking about it's just there it's just, uh, like, an absence kind of like yeah yeah it's kind of like if my right eye was like my ear or something uh -huh. right right there yeah. and then my left eye um, I see pretty well. Um, I, mm -hmm. uh, well, I was last tested as 2300 and I know that doesn't uh -huh. mean much, but basically. Oh, it means, it means much. I, I have very thick glasses actually. So I, I, yeah, I mean, without I, my glasses on, I can see about like a foot in front of my face. So I, you know, yeah. so is that correctable that 300, 2300? Um, like, do you have glasses or how does I that work? To, um, uh -huh. I had a cataract. I have a mm. retinopathy prematurity. We both ROP. Uh -huh. we, yeah, we both do. Um, and I had a cataract a year ago and I had it removed and I got a, you know, you know how they do that. And yeah. 
So, but I had, because of the ROP, mm-hmm. I had complications. And so mm-hmm. for about a year, I was seeing the world through wax paper, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently had another surgery to clean out everything that the the from the complications and so uh-huh. i see now i see 2300 without glasses uh-huh. but up until my cataract i was seeing 2200 mm. with glasses mm. and so i oh interesting know, I, yeah and so it you know i'm i'm right now i'm trying to figure out like how to you know read basically because i can't i with but they can't give you glasses to increase because you're not wearing glasses now but you have 2300 they can't give you glasses that help no, increase that they won't really do much i don't I think see. because i have a i have an artificial lens i see i see um, so they're already giving you the best lens they can yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and i'm gonna mm-hmm. need i'm gonna need reading glasses mm-hmm. um but i have to wait until like everything is healed and right um right. But I do use a screen reader, um, even though uh-huh. I can see the computer. Um, like right now, um, I have my questions up for you up on my Microsoft Word, uh-huh. and I can read it without a screen reader. Uh-huh. Don't even think about it, Mel. Really huge. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm serious. Don't even think about. It. Don't even try and do that. Oh, I'm I'm good. I I have my questions memorized. Okay. Um, but um, but I still use a cane mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. because I, I don't my depth perception is not all that great. Um, mm-hmm. and I, mm-hmm. I can't get around in the dark. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't. Know, I'm a lot like Cassandra, and I, the dark does not scare mm-hmm. me. Like mm-hmm. I can in my house, but like outside, I I you know I have to have do a sighted guide. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Um, you know if I'm out you know outside at night uh-huh. um, and and you know how in the song where it says when it's cloudy or dark yeah well for me a bright day is worse than a cloudy day oh interesting yeah i'm um, the opposite that's why i could connect with what she was saying mm. so because it the world just turns into this big ball of brightness and everything disappears <laughs> mm, gosh that's such a beautiful i mean i feel uh, i definitely feel for you and at the same time that's such a beautiful metaphor the world is a big ball of brightness yeah <laughs> like that's a as i should say simile um <laughs> uh, metaphor but it's anyway it's just a beautiful um image you know so a big so ball of brightness yeah yeah so now i can we're gonna see. listen and see if that comes up in any of your shows no yeah, i'm joking yeah. <laughs> i steal from everybody no, i steal from okay. everybody it's okay you're good <laughs> you, your voice reminds me of someone just as you're talking now and i just can't put my finger on it and it's driving me crazy it's a character in a show actually interesting maybe it's me who knows um, i you know my roommate and when i was a actor in new york my mm-hmm. roommate for a long time was another guy named matt and he had i forget the name of it now but it was a genetic condition that several people in his family had where he loses he lost he was losing the vision in the center of his eye so his peripheral vision was okay but the center he was losing right. and mm-hmm. because of that reading was hard for him and so 
he became incredibly good at memorizing because he would go in to audition and he would get there a little early because mm -hmm. you could a lot of times when you audition you have to hold the yes. um, pages up you know you're and he would just boom he would look at it and get it and that was uh he was incredible and he did and continues to act to this day that uh, that's wow. me with the memory thing i can do that like i did that for an audition yeah. when i went for summer um theater when i was back when i was a teenager and uh -huh. my papa to or my dad sorry took both me and a friend of mine to the audition and mm -hmm. you know she went there did her thing she was good i don't you know i don't i didn't you know you know i mean i'm not perfect but at the same time you know i was like okay mm -hmm. that's cool i went in there and i i did um a a monologue not monologue but a uh, like a scene from one of my favorite tv shows back at the time um secret road of alex mack uh-huh. And I mean, I still like it, but that's the point. But anyway, I did that, and they gave it to me because they explained I not, I mean, I, I you know, I had, obviously, not like that, but then, you know, they said I had talent, not like, that's not a horrible, but you know what I mean, it wasn't just that, it was the fact that I went yes, in there. Don't, don't admit that you have talent, that's never not, said that. I mean, that's not what How dare you acknowledge yourself for <laughs> having really, talent. Oh my gosh, I like you, you were <laughs> awesome. So anyway, it was that, but it was also the fact that I, that she had to start like two times because she kept losing her place, but I went in there, I memorized the whole thing, went in there and just closed my eyes and imagined what you know what i saw on the screen but i imagined what would ha you know if i was in that place so i was like okay this is what i was this is what i should do think of it and they liked that they liked that i put myself in that position and wasn't afraid to be vulnerable so and when i say i'm not afraid of the dark i want to clarify something i'm not afraid of being in the dark what i mm -hmm. am afraid of however is losing like the minimal vision that I have and being in the dark forever. Yeah. Like that's what I'm afraid of. Yeah. Not the actual, not being in the yeah. dark at night. Right. Yeah. So mm. I just didn't want you to think I did. I yeah. I want to. So before we go no, on, that's so helpful to hear this. Yeah. Yes. You, let's you keep wanted talking. me. Go. You wanted me to tell you a little story, didn't you? When I said that I made a backstory for Cassandra, and you're like, I yes. want to hear this. Although okay. I, I must do a disclaimer that. If Cassandra winds up getting her own series, I did not hear anything that you said. We want her to. We want her to. Oh my God, we, we want, want her to. Okay, then you're saying you're giving me permission to steal this. Let's just yes, have that. Yes, yeah, right yes, now. I okay. am. Yes, All right. yes, every single. Thing. I owe you nothing. Yeah, I owe you nothing. No, no okay, nothing. Let's go. Nothing. Okay, so, okay, so we will be honest and truthful from the very beginning, and say that we, you know what fanfic is, right? Like stories people write things. Oh yes. Okay, oh, yes. so we. We are big on Elena fanfic. Now Craig knows this. He's not he he's not naive. He gets it. It's cool. As long as it's appropriately done, I'm sure he's fine. You know, whatever. He knows. Right. So anyway. So we have her in one of our Elena fics because we have Elena losing her vision a little bit after an after an accident. And oh. an, an actual accident. Something that could happen. So she comes to help her and I'll be really quick with this actually kind of funny. Not that, not that at all. Something else. So Lena gets kidnapped by the person who killed her parents because she wants something from her, and she has these two henchmen who are idiots. Okay, let's put it that way for for the PD yeah. podcast. They are idiots, and so they ca Cassandra's come to visit her, but they capture her because of what she can do. She can read the glyphs, and they're in the catacombs. So Lena realizes that after coming to and she's like please tell me you didn't tell them anything and cassandra's like oh i told them something but it it was not going to help them because i i read that he's a moron and i read it to him backwards <laughs> <laughs> i love it <laughs> and i'm 
not trying to make her, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to grow a character, but she's like 15. She's going to be saying things like that about people who, and Victor, you can calm that without feeling bad because he, he's a wuss. He, yeah. she tells a story about a ghost but the the first part of it's very true the second part's a big lie and because uh-huh. he can't tell that she's lying he believes it and runs out of the cave and Elena's like is that, is that true you know and she's like most of it the last part of it's fake <laughs> I had to make him believe it so anyway I'm sorry so the backstory that we have or okay so I'll put myself out there this is this, this backstory is completely my own idea, for the most part. Becca did chime in, but I pretty much spun this yeah. thing. So, and I have... Becca, Becca, she just threw you under the bus. Yeah, really, but... No, no, no. So, and I came up with this while we were working on it. I just did it. I just had Cassandra tell Elena about what her life was like and all that stuff. So, I just, so basically, what I had happen was, you know, she... Now, in order to do this right, she's been blind since birth, right? It wasn't an accident. It wasn't yeah. anything. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. So... So basically what I had her tell Elena was that, you know, they, they, the, you know, she was born and stuff and obviously, and they, you know, they, they knew that she was going to be blind. So then about a couple years later, like say she's like four or five, you know, all that six, maybe probably no, it's five to seven, five or seven. And her father walks out because he can't handle it. So she, he leaves her mother to raise her and her sister. I gave her an older sister by like four years named Abby. Uh-huh. And so. Named, I'm sorry. What was the, what was, what's the Abby, sister's name? Abby. Abby, Abby, okay. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, so then, you know, this, um, their, their mother, I haven't actually named her yet, but she, like, she has to raise these girls on her own and, you know, have, put, hold on a job, do all that. So Abby had to step up to, you know, to take, not take care of Cassandra in a way, but just kind of like do the things that, you know, kind of watch her a little bit more than when their mother was there. And not mm-hmm. in that way. I just mean, you know, like taking over a little bit for their mom while she was at work. Yeah. So, yeah. I- so. Then when Cassandra, I, th- I had her, I think at 13 when this happens. So then the unthinkable happens, and their mother is killed. So um. this, so this is what like bring. I mean, her, she and me were like close, but not like Elena and Isa, but they were, you know, they were close. So mm-hmm. this kind of brings. And them close, and I was she has to, she's eight. Abby's eighteen at this point, so she has to like step up and do this, or seventeen. So it's kind of like so now, like she explains to Elena that you, because Elena was saying that I left and my guard knew where I was, but my mom, my mama does not. And she's like, I told you this not to scare you, but to make you understand anything can happen. I, I you know that this was in our story that we had her mother be alive but not her dad. And she was like, you never know what could happen. You need to, you need to rectify that when you get home. And we will get home if it's the last thing I do because that guy is getting on my nerves. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, so that's what I did. I love that. You know what I love about that story is, and so then Cassandra, so let's just take it to the next step then. So then okay. Cassandra, Cassandra's mother has died. Her father's gone. Her 18-year-old sister is taking over. So what does that mean for her? Like, how does she get from there to um, being the adventurer that we come to see her, would you say? Um, she pretty much, like, obviously she's angry. She, I mean, that's normal. She grieves. I mean, that you do that in different ways. But I think, you know, and then obviously when, you're never done grieving, but at the same time when she, when she gets, when she reaches a point where she's like, you know, I... Obviously, I always miss her. You know, I know she. You know, she always loved me. What I, you know, what happened? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just, I'm just trying to get to there. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but I can use this. I can channel it 
to help me to, you know, to not let this stop me, to help me to get to the next level where she knew that I could, that I was going to go, I'll, I'll let, yeah. yeah, like I'll, I'll let her help me do that, even though she's not yeah. here. I love that. That's beautiful. And, you know, this is one of the many gifts, as I was talking about, of someone with a disability, uh, uh, having a disability, is what I hear in that, in, your, in that story that you've just told. I love the theme of anything can happen at any time. Yeah. And that... You know, if you've if you've grown up and things have just always kind of gone right for you, mm-hmm. that's like that's wonderful. But does it really um, challenge you to grow as a person? No, no it doesn't. No. And you guys have dealt with you're so young, and you've dealt with and you've had to deal with really challenging things from a very early age. And mm-hmm. you kind of had two choices: one was give up, and the other was to grow. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, and so you you're create you. You are unafraid of telling stories with real tragedy in them, with real obstacles. You know, yeah. you're not telling stories about dating and things like that. Not that dating isn't great. You should tell stories about that, too. But, <laughs> but you know, I, I taught a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I taught writing a lot, both to adults and to kids. And, um, mm-hmm. and I think that the challenge for some people is really going there, you know, because as human beings, we move away from conflict. We move away from pain. That's healthy. You don't want, you want, you don't want to do that. But as a dramatist, as somebody telling stories, you have to go into pain. You have to go into obstacles. You have to go into challenges. And, And what I loved about that story is how much you, how much you're giving Cassandra real challenges, real problems. And that, and that to me, clearly, some a story like that would clearly create a, the brave adventurer that we see uh, yeah. in the episode that I wrote. So beautiful work, and I think it's a testament both to your talent and to who you guys are as people that you came up with that story. Thanks. Uh, now, I had, now I had a question about Sally, though. Two things that kind of yes. go hand in hand. First of all. Awesome job in not giving her a dog. Now, the dogs aren't cool, but I loved, yes. I loved the lemur. I mean, Sally. Sorry, yeah. Sally. I think everybody should have a seeing-eye lemur, like, <laughs> whether they're blind or whether they're visually impaired or not. I would like a seeing-eye lemur. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is the question I had. Actually, there's yeah. actually two in one. I'm sorry. So, how did, first of all, how did Cassandra like train her? Like, did she was she conditioning her with like food? Obviously, was it like with toys? Was it like with the Target thing? What? How did she do that? Uh, that is a really good question. That I will be honest, I have not <laughs> figured out. Oh. But I think that would make another great story for uh, your fan fiction of the. That would be a great when when we when you when the three of us are working on the Princess Cassandra series for Disney. Yes, That will be that will be one of our episodes, which is the training of Sally. Yeah, awesome. We'll call it Sally Fourth. And and it will be about all the ways in which she tries to train her and it doesn't work. And then she figures out the way that actually works because Sally is a very unique, uh, and, um, uh, a very uh, persnickety kind of lemur, 
and uh, it doesn't, you know, she's very finicky, so we have to find just the right treats that are going to oh, lure yeah. her to do She sounds job. adorable. The other thing that we appreciated yeah. was that none of the kids touched her or asked yeah. to touch her. That, like that was That's it, important. Yes. It's, you, no, if, if there is a dog with a harness. Yeah. Yeah. Not pet that dog. He's doing a job. Yeah. He's exactly. not. A, he's not a cuddle. He's not there for cuddling. Yeah. Exactly. And I loved how you. They just were like, okay, and they didn't. They didn't try to pet her. They. They didn't. Mm-hmm. Another mm-hmm. thing is talking to them. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Because that distracts them too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved that Sally was just there, and they were just like, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, asking wouldn't have been a big deal. I mean, that was that's fine. That's what you're supposed to do. But at the same time, you know, the fact that they they kind of I guess had a night when she said that that was just like okay, yeah. case closed. Here we go. You know. Yeah. 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 Also, also, I think part of what's going on there is Cassandra is the authority. Yes. Yes. She's yeah. in charge. She's the parent in the room. So yes. you know, and yeah. I think that they were. I think they were just kind of. I mean, she shows up riding a. A hippogriff or whatever I can't remember now, but like you know, oh. it's like a flying lion with Wait. wings, you know. Oh, so it's you like didn't know that. That. we didn't know that. Yes, that is oh, so yeah. Cool. yeah. So she's like she's she's she kicks butt, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> and there's definitely when we write our series, there's an episode where she tames that creature. You yes. Know? Like yeah. yes. So, right. That was the idea: is that we're kind of we're we're using things that are real from what someone who lives in where do you, I don't know where you guys live. Where do you guys live? Um, Pennsylvania. Are you not supposed to say? Never been Pennsylvania. Okay. Yeah. I live in Georgia. Oh wow. Okay. Um, but you know, we're someone in Pennsylvania or Georgia, the kind of things they might be doing, but then taking it into a fantastical dimension. You know. Yeah. Um, so. And, and I loved that she wrote books because I'm an author. Me too. I, I'm, 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 well, you know, I can tell. I can tell. <laughs> I'm actually working on a, a science fiction novel where I do have a character that is visually impaired like myself. Fantastic. Um, and I loved, I also love that she wrote books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a big part of it, was that she was really accomplished, you know, that she was, um, again, this idea that she's the authority, she's the expert, she's she's somebody who's already there. Um, Mm -hmm. She's already proven herself, she's already done so, someone they all can look up to, Mm -hmm. Um, not just because she's, isn't she brave, but like, no, she did stuff. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, and that's why we have her come to help Elena because when she, yeah. um, when Shariki captured her and she wakes up and she obviously can't see because she can't because of what happened, mm-hmm. um, she's freaking out a little bit because obviously she has no idea where she is, but she's not, she's scared, so she's not paying attention to what am I hearing, what am I, what, you know, that yeah. thing. So Cassandra mm-hmm. kind of gets her grounded enough to ex- to explain, okay, I, you know, I don't know why they have, well, not like that, but you know, she doesn't know her yet, but she's like, you know. I need you to listen to my voice. Listen to, you know, and then when she gets her to a point, yes, where she can pay I love that. You know, she's like, okay, what are you, what are you smelling? What are you, what are you hearing besides me? And besides that right. idiot over there. Yeah. 
you know, and all that. Well, that's really funny, but what's also great, what's great about what you're doing character-wise, that's a great character trait for Cassandra that, again, like we were saying, because she's gone through so much, she is someone who, I mean, in particular crisis related to sight, she's steady, but my guess is she's pretty steady most of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, like, mm-hmm. she's, things don't ruffle her because she's been through stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, sure she a, ha- I'm sure she has her vulnerable times. I mean, everyone does. And I'm yes, sure there exactly. And that would be really that would be very interesting to explore. What oh is yes, Princess Kansas. That's our that's our that's our mid season cliffhanger double we, episode. We should really do. But no, I'm being serious. We should find a way that we could really do this with you because that would be incredible. That would be amazing. Well, I would love to do something like that. Um, so. But right now, I need to go to the halls of Disney and work on Fancy Nancy. Um, <laughs> so I think I have to end this interview now, unless there's a last question that you guys Go ahead, Becca. You can, you can... Yeah, I have one. Um, what inspired you to make Cassandra blind? Well, I, I will... When I got the offer to write for Princess Sophia, um, I... I have to say, I had a moment where I was like, I'm not sure. I'm a middle-aged, bald, white guy. You know, I was like, I'm not sure that, like, you know, a show for girls is something that I am going to be able to do. Of course, it turned out that I I am basically a little girl inside, so it was all fine. (laughs) But at the time, I was like, I'm not sure this is, you know, for me. So I watched a few episodes, and I really resonated with the episode, uh, about the flying derby where um, Sophia is, um, you know, she shows up at the at Royal Prep and all the, she wants to ride in the flying derby, which is riding on the flying horses. And the prince, the only the princes do, the princesses watch from the stands. Right. And mm-hmm. she's like, no, I'm going to be, I'm going to be on yes. the horse. And what I loved about that was it also really to me resonated with the title, Sophia the first. She's, mm-hmm. she's the first, she's, she's a, she changes things. Yes. Um, and so I, I thought, well, what are the kind of things change that I would like to see? And as I said, because I uh, grew up with a disabled sister, my sister loves television. She loves shows. <laughs> and she loves when she sees somebody with a disability like hers in a show. Um, and it's sometimes hard for her to articulate because of her, um, Mm -hmm. because of her issues. But I can remember there was a show, uh, when we were younger called life goes on where they had, it was about, um, a boy with a developmental disability and he was down. I think he had downs, right. And, um, and it was the actor actually had downs and it was a wonderful Mm -hmm. show. And I remember I was staying, my sister had her own apartment at that time where she was monitored and stuff. And, um, and I was staying over and I came, I had gone and gotten some food or something and I came in and she was sitting and watching that show and in the dark, like she was just sitting there watching it and was so engrossed in the show, like I, in a way that I'd never seen before. And I could tell that this was, this was like food for her, you know, that this was so important for her to see someone like her on her on a show that she loved and so i had actually read that disney that there was you know disney is doing great with their inclusion and princesses um in terms of ethnic diversity but there hadn't been a disabled princess and that there were people asking for that and i thought well that's going to be my goal on this show is like i'm gonna i'm i don't want to i don't want to get through this i was i knew i was the i was there for the last season so one season and i was like i really want to get a disabled a princess with a disability disability um 
on the show and it wasn't easy to be honest um, because we had to find just the right story and I, I pitched I pitched a lot of different stories before this one um, was uh-huh. approved and came through and there was um, but you know once we and it was interesting because I shared this with um, with Lauren in an email I, the very one of the very first episodes they asked me to write was an episode about uh, the the princesses getting trapped in a pyramid in Khaldun, which is sort of you know very, they wanted a kind of Indiana Jones adventure show, and we couldn't figure that out, and I couldn't figure out how to do a, a disabled princess show that wasn't going to be, you know, like one idea was oh one of the princesses falls and hurts her leg and she's in a cast and then she meets another princess who is in a wheelchair and she blah blah blah, but that, that just didn't feel right and yeah. you know and um so i don't know exactly i can't honestly remember the moment where it sort of hit me but i was like struggling with these two stories and then i realized they they answered each other you know and so once i got this idea of like oh they get trapped in the dark in the pyramid well wouldn't it be awesome if there was a princess who was used to not being able to see who could help them and then everything just boom came together and then it got through very easily and we actually didn't didn't have a lot of notes from the executives and so they just they just you know they just everybody really liked it and they really got behind it and they really believed in it and as i said offline i i sent your comments and you guys weren't the only ones there were other people who contacted me on twitter and uh cool. and and just saying that they were also blind viewers or visually impaired viewers who um who this the episode really resonated with and i sent that to the head of uh of Disney Junior and some of the other uh, people in charge at Disney, and they were so touched and so happy, and they all said, "This is why we do this. This is why we do this." So, um, and it's I know that that it has encouraged other shows um, to. Uh, put disabled characters in their shows. It's not. I'm not the only one advocating for this at Disney at all. Craig Gerber. I, I have to say that Craig Gerber was independent of my desire to do this. He was also hoping to have a disabled princess on the show, um, and it was actually total coincidence. We weren't talking about it, but he was working on his end, and I was working for my end, and then it all came together. And then I also need to say that Michael Stern, who is the story editor, which means he was the head writer for the season that I was on, wrote. Mm-hmm. The song that you guys love so much. I had um, normally we write the songs for the episodes we're in, but my contract ended. This was the last episode, the final episode I wrote, and we I there wasn't time to finish the song before my contract ended. And so Michael, I came up with the idea of the song, and I think maybe the title, um, you know, but that ba- the basic idea of it. But Michael wrote it and did a beautiful job with it. I, I yeah. really it was all meant to be because I I just think he did a beautiful job with that song, and oh, yeah. uh, so I oh, want to and I'm. And I think Craig weighed in a little bit on the song yeah. as well. So, yeah, as he does, is. yes, uh, being the king, the, the king yes, of the show. Yes, yes. But our we king Roland. Thank you. Yes. We want to thank you. So, we want to thank you so much for coming and being a part of our podcast and gifting us with your time. Yes. Oh, it was my absolute pleasure. I go ahead. I'm sorry, Becca. I interrupted you too. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> this meant a lot. Yes. <laughs> Well, it means a lot to me, guys, and I hope we stay in contact. And I oh, yeah. think what you're doing, I think what you're doing is is just terrific. I love 
your podcast. I think you're both delightful, and I want you both to keep writing, and I look forward to reading your stories and seeing you, this the TV shows or that you guys create, because um, I, I really see that for you, okay? Oh, thank you so much. You have a really, okay. good, you have a really good week. Have okay, thanks. Okay, you too. Okay. Right, bye. Bye. Bye.